Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Hi, I'm Paul Spain, and welcome along to episode 183 of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, a special edition this time round that uh, features interviews that I carried out uh, in recent days at Computex in Taipei, uh, a chat with one of the Surface team from uh, Microsoft HQ in Redmond, Washington, uh, rundown on Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, and also my comments on, um, initial comments on spending a few days with Microsoft's new Surface Pro 3. So before we jump into uh, into the interviews, um, I'd just like to give, a, I, I guess, a run-through on the, the big trends of, of Computex this year. There are probably three areas that, uh, that stood out for me. Uh, first up, the continued size reduction of microprocessor technology and all of the things that are associated with that in terms of uh, reduction in, in power usage and so on. Now, this isn't a new trend, the sort of the shrinking of, uh, of technologies, but it's, be, it's been going on really for a long time. And computing technology gets faster and faster and smaller and smaller. Um, now, Computex this year, this was evidenced in, in a number of areas. There were prototypes from Intel of um, their Llama Mountain uh, tablet, which is effectively a PC in a tablet form factor, but incredibly uh, coming in thinner than the current iPad Air from Apple. So very, very thin computing design, but with a, from a um, uh, an Intel uh, core processor, uh, in this case being Intel's upcoming Intel uh, Core M chip, that, that was announced at Computex. Uh, also in that vein, Asus showed off their, their prototype of the uh, the T300Chi tablet that's going to come in uh, there just, just over 7 millimeters thick and also having that Intel uh, Core M chip. Now continuing on the trend in downsizing technology, uh, one of the other areas that stood out for me is, is wearable tech. That's an area that uh, is is really starting to uh, uh, to pick up some some pace. I, su- I suppose we're still very much in the in the early days of it, but really you couldn't walk too far at Computex on the show floor without seeing some new wearable product. In most cases, from from local Taiwanese or, or Chinese firms, and we'll dive in here a little bit more about uh, wearable tech. Uh, during during the podcast from uh, from Intel. Now, the, thirdly, the, one of the other areas that's, that stood out at Computex was wireless charging. Now, of course, you know we've got got used to sort of wireless connectivity to uh, uh, to the internet, and and uh, in in recent years, technologies like Wi-Fi that allow us to uh, to to connect to um, uh, projectors and 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 TVs and wirelessly uh, share video, but it's uh, it's wireless charging technology that was uh, was really taking a lot of attention at Computex this year, uh, starting with uh, Intel's opening uh, keynote where where they demoed uh, some of that technology, and uh, we're fortunate enough to get some time with New Zealand's Powered by Proxy, uh, a company that was spun off out of Auckland University in 2007 and they were on hand to uh, to, to share some details of their uh, latest wireless charging innovations. 
So yeah, let's uh, let's let's jump in from there. Let's jump straight into uh, let's jump straight into our interviews. Uh, first up, we're going to uh, we're going to hear a little bit about uh, wearable tech and uh, and and um, where Intel are going as far as uh, wearable tech is concerned. So right now, I'm here with uh, Tom Faldesi from Intel. Now, Tom. You're involved with a, a new part of Intel. Tell us what that group is and what your role is. So I work in the new devices group at Intel. We're a relatively new group, a little less than a year old. Uh, we were created shortly after Brian Krasanich took over as the company CEO and Renee James took over as our president. And the group was created in recognition of the tremendous uh, market potential that wearable technologies have. Our charter is wearables and related enabling technologies. Great. Now, in that wearable space... There's not, yeah. There's not a lot of products yet. There have been there have been a few from various vendors and so on. We're starting to see that accelerate now. Uh, second round of watches from from Samsung recently and so on. Um, but the scope for wearables is much broader than just smart watches, isn't it? Can you give us some ideas on you know where where this is heading and and some of the um, yeah, concepts you think are going to become a reality in the future? Yeah, definitely. I think we're very much in the early stages of this industry. Uh, No single usage model or no single uh, device has emerged as a leader. And I think the space is growing quickly enough that there's an opportunity for a host of different devices to coexist, depending on what user experiences they offer. Earlier this year at CES, we unveiled a number of different enabling technologies, heart rate monitoring set of smart earbuds, uh, low power always listening devices. In that particular case, we showcased it in a Bluetooth headset form factor, but that's not the only wearable in which we can integrate that technology. Uh, Wireless charging devices. We have announced a smart bracelet that we are doing with uh, International Fashion Design House opening ceremony. Um, And I think you're absolutely right. I think there's definitely, uh, I think it's going to be a very vibrant ecosystem in terms of the, the different devices that will be available and that will thrive at the same time. Now, uh, one of the things I, I remember from CES, and, and you showed in your presentation, a picture in your presentation earlier, which was uh, something that a baby might wear, um, and you, you also talked about possibilities for uh, smart sort of clothing for, for sports people. Tell us about those, those two and what they, they might look like in the future. Well, our uh, CEO, Brian Krasanich, actually just unveiled a uh, smart shirt um, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, It's based on uh, an Intel technology codenamed Gossamer, and it's essentially powered by an Intel Edison platform, uh, which interfaces with a host of sensors in a shirt. Um, We're we're not really disclosing too much more about that right now, but it kind of underscores uh, Intel's desire to get into the smart fabric space. And and what about this uh, uh, clothing that a that a that a baby could wear? What benefits could that bring? Um, it can certainly monitor heart rate, temperature. 
breathing rate, uh, you know, if you're a parent, um, I think that's all kind of val- valuable feedback. So you can track your baby's biorhythms real time and be alerted immediately if the baby stops breathing, if their heart rate drops, if their temperature drops or rises too high. And there are kind of very practical everyday usage models for that as well, and that you will be alerted immediately when the baby wakes up, uh, not through a baby monitor, but something that interfaces directly with your child, a much more reliable, a much more innovative way to gather that information. And, and you talked about um, yeah, potentially something that could be preparing a bottle for the baby. That was just one example of, uh, of a usage model that can be created. But once you have a device that wirelessly communicates directly with other mobile devices or that interfaces up into the cloud, how you combine different smart devices and how you architect the software backend for them to uh, key off of each other Um, is only limited by the designer's imagination. We're giving them the tools to be able to deliver that functionality. And tell us what the possibilities might be with wearable clothing tech in the sports space. Is that likely to bring sort of, you know, real-time feedback to to sports fans we can see on on our screens maybe, how someone's, you know, Performing, you know, not only in say you know a tennis game, the the realities of the game, but maybe some of the other factors in terms of fatigue and and so on. You know, how's that likely to look? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, uh, it it's going to transform the experience for fans. Um, you'll be able to get insights that you've never had before. You'll be able to actively track how your team is doing. I think this is particularly powerful for, for team sports. And it also opens up kind of new avenues in coaching as well. It will allow coaches to kind of monitor their players individually and independently and uh, make certain trade-offs, make certain coaching calls based on the information that, that they're being fed back by smart monitors and uh, players apparel great i mean it sounds like we're very much just scratching the surface here in terms of what the capabilities are and i i know uh yeah your team are working on all sorts of things behind the scenes um how serious is intel about this wearable space and what sort of size team have you got that is that are focused on uh, on wearables uh intel does not disclose employee numbers by by division Uh, What I can tell you is that we're very serious about this space, and that's underscored by the fact that we have an entire group, uh, the GM of which reports directly to the CEO that is looking after this space. So this is definitely a strategic vector for Intel. Our CEO has come out publicly and said that if... If we are not a major participant in this space, then, then, then we'll be left behind. So I think everyone understands how important uh, being successful in the wearable space is for the company. We understand that um, uh, it's not necessarily enough when an ecosystem is in its infancy to have the right products. We have to be able to uh, provide the spark for innovation. So when we look... Um, When we look several years back, um, Intel was one of the key drivers of the proliferation of Wi-Fi. We intend to do the same thing for the wearable space. So we've announced what we call the Make It Wearable Challenge. Uh, This is an open invitation to makers of all stripes, um, professionals, hobbyists, anyone that has a passion for the space. We invite them to submit their ideas. These ideas will be adjudicated and we'll select 10 finalists, the ones that we feel are the most viable. They'll be given $50,000 in funding and significant mentorship from Intel executives. 
Um, there'll be a grand prize winner who will receive half a million dollars in funding. Uh, second and third place winners will receive two hundred thousand and one hundred thousand dollars, respectively. So this is just one of the things that we're doing to uh, ensure that that we can support innovation in this space. Another thing that we're doing is uh, donating fifty thousand Galileo boards to universities and other educational institutions globally. What does the Galileo board do? Uh, the Galileo board is a uh, larger form factor uh, compute module. Uh, in some respects, it's similar to Galileo, but it is targeted more at the hobbyist community, universities, and other educational institutions. It provides a very user-friendly, uh, Arduino-compatible programming environment. It has a single-core, single-thread uh, Quark X1000 CPU clocking at uh, 400 megahertz and support, supports a whole host of I.O on that one platform that's great well thanks very much for your time tom thanks very much for your time paul appreciate it so now let's hear about what uh, what ford have been uh, announcing at computex uh, particularly as it relates to new zealand okay so i'm uh, i'm here at computex uh, we've just been at the uh, ford announcement and i'm with uh, joe bison joe tell us where you fit into the the ford picture Sure, thanks, Paul. Um, my name is Joe Beiser. I'm Director of Connected Services for Ford with uh, Asia Pacific, Europe, Middle East, and Africa responsibilities. So tell us what's been, uh, what's been announced today as far as uh, from that connected technology perspective and uh, how that's going to be good for the New Zealand market. So what we announced today that, is that we're going to continue to expand our AppLink technology, which is the technology that allows you to bring your smartphone into the car, use the apps, and control them safely in vehicle by voice or steering wheel buttons. We've announced today that we'll be bringing that to New Zealand next year, and we are starting to work right now with partners to co-develop with them to ensure that we can deliver a safe, great experience for customers in New Zealand. And what are the, what are the apps that um, you know, have sort of stood out for, uh, in other markets in terms of that have been quite popular? I understand you know, audio streaming, that sort of thing, is, is one, of the, one of the top areas? Yes, audio streaming is, is usually the first use case people think about in vehicle. So a lot of internet streaming, um, personalized radio, those types of products um, from the U.S. market and European market, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, those are all popular. Um, but what we do, and the beauty of the AppLink technology, is we can customize it for the region. Because we keep all of the brains of the app in the app itself, and we simply provide the interface with our AppLink technology, whatever's most popular in each market, we can certainly work with those partners and deliver that. Beyond music, uh, we get a lot of desired for location-based services. So find a parking spot, navigate, etc. We also, in China, what's very popular is a voice assistant. So we allow the technology to capture the user's voice, pass that back to the smartphone. That smartphone can then use cloud-based voice intelligence and then respond to the user. So that can offer things like tell me a joke or you know, send an SMS to my friend. That's cool. So, um, so Spotify today is, is, is probably the, the leading sort of audio streaming product in New Zealand. Um, the fact that you've got that in other markets, there's no reason to think that wouldn't be available sort of at launch uh, within the New Zealand market? Certainly. Certainly. We, would, we work closely with Spotify to ensure that there's nothing different or unusual in the dynamic of each market, but certainly that'd be something we would anticipate. Now, um, one of the questions that's come back through uh, on Twitter this morning has been for people that have got recent vehicles, uh, are they going to have opportunity to gain access to AppLink? Uh, depends on the definition of recent. Um, with Sync 
with AppLink in this new version for across Europe and Asia Pacific, we have upgraded the hardware of our sync system. So older vehicles may not be able to upgrade to the latest version. So if we were to go back 12 months, 24, are there going to be some cars in that sort of range that are likely to be able to be upgraded? Uh, it's probably unlikely as we roll out the new hardware, which is, which is just rolling out now. Um, we'd have to figure out how to update the hardware as well in vehicles. So it wouldn't be something that the customers could just download the software and plug it into their car. There'd be a little bit more involved. Okay, so I mean, I guess one of the common things that, that uh, you know, in terms of product releases that we have uh, in the home is the you know the big smart TV, and a lot of people like to decouple the smarts from from the TV because they can update that regularly. Um, is there is there anything sort of on the roadmap as far as uh, Ford's concerned that allows somebody to buy a car and maybe keep it you know for for more than a year or two and still be able to keep uh, the technology updated? Or is that a bit of a challenge at the moment? Um, no, we, we do that today. We've been doing that since 2007 with our sync platform. We allow users to update the software. And uh, across the globe, we generally allow users to download to a USB and put the USB in the car to update the software. So that's our control mechanism so that we can have it securely managed. Um, in terms of upgrading hardware, that's where there's a bit more of a challenge. And so we're continually looking at methods to do that. And uh, we don't have a, a clean answer right now that I can share. Okay. All right. Um, and is there anything, anything else sort of of, of interest um, that that's been happening on the the sync platform uh, that listeners might not be aware of? What I find most interesting is the emergency assistance feature that you heard about today coming to Taiwan. To me, it's actually my favorite sync feature because it gives me the peace of mind that if I'm in an accident and you know if the airbag is deployed, it will call emergency services for me and it will call them directly, so it will get to me very quickly. And so that's one of the things that we've also continued to think about rolling across the globe. Now, for uh, those who might be interested in developing uh, apps for the Ford AppLink platform, um, what's the process? How do, they, uh, how do they get in touch and how difficult is it for them to participate? So the, the process is to go to developer.ford.com. There's a method where you can see the code, work on that, and look through it. The, uh, the only challenge there is we have a lot of people who want to develop apps for the vehicle, and we find better success when we work directly with the partners. So we, we tend to start with the largest partners in each, each market and just continually go through the list. If you've got a very unique app that works great in vehicle, love to talk to you and uh, figure that out. Good. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time, Joe. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Now let's hear about the uh, the cream of the crop uh, of the announcements from uh, ASUS, and certainly they, they had a lot of products to announce at uh, at Computex. But uh, let, let's jump in and hear about uh, two products that uh, that that really stood out. Okay, so now with Jackson from ASUS, and we're looking at arguably one of the most uh, interesting new products announcement uh, here at. Computex 2014, and that's the ASUS Transformabook T300G. Uh, now, I guess that the immediate thing that stands out about this when you look at it is just how thin uh, the tablet piece is on this, uh, this upcoming uh, two-in-one uh, device. Uh, Jackson, what, what can you tell us about the, the Qi? Alright, so our new member there, our Transformabook T300G, um, it's one of the lightest, uh, thinnest um, tablets, uh, or transform in, transform into a um, a notebook on a 13-inch device, powered with the new Core i CPU from Intel. 
Um, it also has the new WQHD display on a 13 inch device on a 1440p with um, LTE or non-LTE versions available around end of the year or early next year. Right, yeah, it looks uh, looks pretty stunning. That very high definition uh, display is is impressive, particularly in in such a form factor. And yeah, this is, I guess, the, the very first product to be uh, announced with uh, Intel's new Core M uh, CP, CPU that's designed for these uh, thinner form factors. Certainly, that uh, seven millimeter thickness on the on the tablet piece um, really will will allow it to. Uh, you know, stand out in the market. I think the, the thinnest uh, thing that we've seen uh, previously in this sort of 12 and a half inch form factor is the Surface Pro 3 from Microsoft, uh, and that's uh, I think about 20% uh, or, or more uh, on top of this in, in terms of thickness, maybe uh, 30%. Uh, do, do you think this will be able to, uh, um, you know, tr- attract a lot of attention in the market alongside the likes of, of the, uh, the Surface Pro? Oh, um, definitely. With something that we're looking at to um, to target the consumer and also the commercial um, market, uh, in which I think the thinness, the beauty, of the design, and the power that you need with the battery life um, on the device uh, is something that is definitely available uh, for every usage at home or at work. Um, so I think um, something that we can uh, look forward to um, as a op- alternative options for customers looking to buy um, other than the service products. Right, now um, it looks like this could be as, as much as six months away. Do you know any more in terms of the battery life and so on or is that that's something that will come a bit closer to uh, to launch when, when Intel have sort of got you know, final versions of the chips and so on available? Yeah, we still have to wait for Intel's um, confirmations on the chips configurations so that we can do our testing and have more definite um, um, confirmation on the battery life but I think it's, you know you can be, be sure that is something that um, for future usage battery life is very important um, in, in the design of our products that's great all right thank you for that thank you okay and uh, here's the uh, the the other product from ASUS that uh, that really captured quite a lot of attention at Computex this is our new transformer book 5 where you just like you just said five devices is actually has a, a phone um, Windows phone and then um, I'm sorry Android phone and then going to a tablet mode um, so and then if you dock on a docking station you will actually become a notebook so this, there's actually two CPU inside uh, one on the phone one on the tablets um, the tablets go up to with a Core i CPU as well uh, with uh, SSD uh, inside um, yeah so th- the docking stations can or can support with hard drive technology as well. So the overall wise, um, you know, it's something that um, if someone is looking for just a device to meet any situation, any needs, I think this is definitely a device that they should look for. And in terms of when, when is the uh, trans- the new Transform Book um, Five going to come into into the market? What's uh, what's required for that to to launch? Is it got current generation chips or is this a, a future generation product? Uh, this will be a future generation product as well but uh, looking at this will probably be early next year's um, product 
uh, introducing the New Zealand market. Okay, that's that's great. Now let's hear from uh, FaceShift, who I ran into at the Intel stand at Computex. So right now I'm with uh, I'm with the team from uh, FaceShift here. Uh, now their technology was was shown off at the uh, Intel keynote and keen to hear a little bit more about this technology that uh, has been taking advantage of Intel's uh, RealSense 3D camera. Uh, the example we've been looking at uh, here uses a prototype um, ASUS laptop with uh, with that RealSense uh, 3D camera embedded in place of where the traditional uh, webcam would be. So um, across to you to start with, Brian. Um, tell us where, the, where this technology's uh, come from. So this technology, which really looks at your face, analyzes your face, and puts your expressions onto new characters, has been used so far in the animation industry. So that's where it comes from. That's where we already saw a market when we started. And um, now is the time to shift this towards the consumer level, because now we have these Intel RealSense cameras available, and it's going to be exciting. So uh, maybe you can give us a rundown... um on, on exactly what the technology does. Okay, yeah, over to you, Doug Griffin, just for, for an overview of, of what the software does when used with the camera. Okay, yeah, we take the input from uh, depth cameras, uh, both the depth and the, the uh, RGB or video image that we get from those. And uh, we teach our software the appearance and shape of a person's face. And once it knows that, In real time, we can convert that raw data from the sensor into actual expressions that are useful and interpretable. Um, They could be used to drive a digital character. You could be used to play a video game as a joystick input device, so on. And uh, the the sort of customers that you've had uh, to date, do you have real customers? Have you got people who are interested? How far along the track are you with, uh, with selling the product? Yeah, we launched the product in November 2012, so we've been out for 16 months, I think, now. Um, we do have a host of um, customers uh, in the AAA gaming community and in anim- animated film and visual effects. So some of those are Electronic Arts, uh, 2K Games, uh, Microsoft Game Studios recently bought it, and uh, DreamWorks recently launched a uh, YouTube channel in which they're using our technology and their great animators to produce content on a weekly basis. Okay, oh, that's a great start. And uh, where to from here? How how uh, how long do you think until we'll see uh, the these Intel uh, 3D cameras uh, yeah, built in as standard into laptops and so on? I guess that's what will uh, you know drive drive your your product in terms of you know broad consumer adoption, right? Yeah, we're really excited about this. We've always had an interest in democratizing facial capture. And uh, up until a year ago when we launched, the only people that had this kind of technology were the the very largest game studios and visual effects studios who could throw boatloads of money at hardware, customized software, hardware and software. Um, We launched with an intent to democratize that. And uh, last year when we launched, we supported the Kinect and Kinect-like devices. Uh, And that was great for game studios, either the AAAs or even the independent studios because we... By democratizing that technology and lowering the price point of the hardware, it became accessible to a wide audience, but not nearly the type of audience you get when you actually embed it into a consumer product. Um, What this is going to do in terms of 
you know, virtual reality, uh, live interactive gameplay, Skype avatar. There's just huge, huge opportunities in the consumer space when, when the Intel RealSense 3D camera and similar devices are embedded into actual consumer products, whether that's a laptop or a tablet. Great. All right. Thanks very much for your time. And next up, let's hear from Tony Francesca of Power by Proxy, uh, a firm that was founded out of Auckland uh, University. Tony, th- tell us what it is that uh, that you've announced here uh, at, at Computex. So what we're announcing here is three new innovations for wireless power in the consumer electronics division. Uh, as you may be aware, Power by Proxy has two divisions, one on consumer and the other one on industrial. The focus here for us at Computex is consumer, and hence three innovations. We're demonstrating the next uh, fundamental capabilities in wireless power for consumer electronics, one of which is charging devices like smartphones, tablets, and so on at the highest power level in the industry. So to date, things have been delivered at less than 5 watts with many issues with thermal efficiency and so on. We're demonstrating today a 7.5-watt receiver for a phablet, for example. Um, and we're also demonstrating multi-device charging resonance. So that's one innovation. The second innovation is a consumer is expected to charge their devices anywhere. And one of the important locations outside their home for personal use is infrastructure, meaning at hospitality suites, restaurants, and so on. And in those cases, what is important is how far can you actually place your receiver in order for it to be charged. Typically, people have tables or furniture, and the thickness of that furniture itself is really important. They don't want to have a pad resting on the surface. They would like to bury that pad and not be visible at all. So therefore, the, the goal is how can you place your smartphone or tablet on the table itself and believe it's charging right through the wood or the granite or the composite. And therefore, what is important there is referred to the industry as what's the Z-height? or the distance the power needs to travel before it hits the phone. So there we're demonstrating the leading edge in resonance today, 30 millimeter distance travel for a receiver. Okay, now um, that's not really something that we've seen a whole lot of is infrastructure uh, you know, set up for that. And of course we don't have that many devices today that have uh, you know wireless charging. I guess you know, Nokia and... Um, uh, Google had de- devices, but you know, they're not sort of proliferating yet. What what are what are the things that you think that are going to sort of you know push that across the line to uh, to bring this mainstream? And how how important is uh, the 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 resonant uh, charging with that that sort of distance? So uh, there are a number of things that the market hasn't taken off on, uh, and some of it has been inductive limitations themselves. So with inductive, the first thing is that you need very good alignment. The, the consumer has to place the phone at a very specific point on the pad in order for it to fully charge. If you move it slightly, it may stop charging. The other part is that, uh, is that full power cannot have been delivered in the past. The phone would heat up. And therefore, consumers were, thought, were stuck with, well, if I place it here, it may charge in three hours. Or if I place it there, it may charge in six hours. So longer time to charge is not a compelling. If I have to place it perfectly, I don't know where perfectly is. It may not charge at all. Therefore, there's this user convenience that was not met. And perceived problems as well as cost. 
So what resonance, magnetic resonance, is delivering on is consumers don't have to know precise alignment. They, the, it can charge at full power without getting hot and be safe. And the cost structure is also coming down for consumer um, you know, price elasticity, for demand to take off. So there's a number of, of things occurring with magnetic resonance. Uh, the other part is that in public locations, this is becoming more important as well because batteries on uh, smartphones don't last a whole day to start with. So if you can enable more convenient places for those things to be charged, even for people on the road, for example, you can find a power outlet almost anywhere, even if you're not at home. So the question is, how can you tap into and make sure your phone does not stop your productivity, access to information or communications and so on? So the public infrastructure is an important next step to overcome. And what we're doing today is demonstrating that even for installations where thickness of the furniture is a huge challenge we, we've solved that problem so all these things are converging to open up the market for more practical use cases and therefore the the market to take off and uh, where does new zealand fit into this into this picture so new zealand for us uh, as far as a market but we think obviously new zealand is an important market not necessarily for size but early adopters are all also there as well. If we look at from a volume perspective of where the markets have taken off in the past, obviously North America and Europe is, has been next. But the fastest, absolute fastest growing market is China or greater China. Because uh, in, in the United States, for example, what we claim in the past is that the a large subscriber for mo- mobile phones has been the United States. But China today has got double the population of phone subscribers than the United States has. And they're going to fast-track the smartphone market. Today, there have been a lot more feature phones, but the population has become more um, uh, valuable from uh, salary, uh, ability to purchase goods. So therefore, we expect that to be very large. Of course, uh, all the benefits there will, will, val- will prov- be provided to every country, including New Zealand. But New Zealand can be proud that it's now being respected for things beyond what it's normally been known as for wine and, and dairy products and so on, but also now the leading-edge technology providers. We're calling cutting the last cord. We cut the voice cord a couple of decades ago for mobile phones. We cut the data cord 10 years ago with Internet. We cut the video cord, video, mobile video, the last five years. The last cord is the power cord. And New Zealand hopefully can be proud that it's enabling this large market to occur. And so um, how, much, how much of a team does Power by Proxy uh, yeah, have in, in New Zealand today? Uh, I'm sorry, sir? Uh, the, the, what sort of a team do you have in New Zealand uh, currently? So um, I'm not sure this is public information, but I can tell you that we're sub-100. And we're going through a huge growth spurt right now of expanding not only locally, but as I mentioned earlier, we've got uh, bigger locations in North America. We're expanding China, and greater China is an important next big growth area. So I expect to see over the short term that we populate not only with uh, sales, but also engineering support in all those countries. 
Now the because what we've done, as we've seen in the last 12 months, is we signed some big deals, including Samsung has become an investor in Power by Proxy. We signed a licensing deal with Texas Instruments, who's one of the largest semiconductor companies in the world. T-Connectivity, of course, also been an investor and customer. So now that we've demonstrated our technology and got big customer traction, the growth is now continuing to expand as a company as well. So, for for you to be successful, uh, you really need the Samsungs and so on to to really now get behind uh, wireless wireless charging, right? It's 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 got to be them putting it in their products to uh, to drive it. Absolutely, absolutely, and you've seen that they've done that. What they're now waiting for is resonance to make sure that it's ubiquitous everywhere because the compelling value proposition from a technology and use case is on magnetic resonance. So what we see today with the uh, Qi wireless charging standard, I think that's at uh, 1.1 level, uh, where's, where's that going in the future and, and where, do, where do your products tie in? Because you're a little bit ahead of the, the, the standard, aren't you, in terms of you know, what you're developing? The WPC, or Wireless Power Consortium, is the largest standards organization in the world. We are now over 220 people, which is more than three times the next A4WP in membership. This, uh, this, this ecosystem has been in existence for the last four years. And since joining WPC a year ago, Power by Proxy is regarded as the enabler for resonance. I, we were elected to be on the board. And I'm also the chairman for the next magnetic resonance spec at a WPC, which is called 1.2. So we are driving the largest ecosystem and contributing to make that the next standard in WPC. So as that becomes a, a, a standard, uh, you know, what does that mean for your, uh, your technology and, and your uh, inventions and so on? Well, we hope that we can bring all our know-how, uh, all our expertise, and make this large ecosystem, this large market, be big enough for everyone so that everyone can enjoy it, not only consumers but also suppliers along the food chain. And hopefully Bauer by Proxy can be recognized for its contributions and valuations. So you don't retail any of your own products, do you? You really look to partner up with, uh, you know, with the Samsungs uh, and, and smaller vendors that might make accessories and, and so on to, uh, to launch products into the market? <coughs> so we have a dual business model. For industrial, we design systems and we'll also manufacture them and ship them as complete modules because price and size does not matter in those situations. What, what are some examples of your industrial products? So we've de- 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 uh, developed and delivered systems, for example, that go into windmill applications that operate at one kilowatt or higher uh, for uh, slip rings, for materials handling, so there are many applications, including aviation and transportation. Um, in consumer electronics, we have a different business model. We develop all the basic systems, but then we license our technology because size does matter. Uh, there's not a lot of room in a smartphone or a wearable device to put another chip. So in that case, what we do is we perfect the design and then license chip companies. For example, you've seen Samsung, t- Texas Instruments, um, linear technologies, they will take our intellectual property and our patents and place it in a very small form factor, and then they will supply it to ODMs and OEMs like Samsung or end product companies that will ship the 
beyond the wireless power module, the final device, like call it a smartphone, the tablet, the Galaxy Gear, all those things. So in that case, we are in the food chain in the developing, designing, and licensing our technology for consumer electronics. Right, so the, 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 the new things that you're showing off here, we might see them uh, turn up in a product from Samsung or, or another vendor in maybe 6 to 12 months? I can't judge on timing, but that's exactly what we're showing today is that we can demonstrate a complete working system in consumer use case and terminology. And once we've proven those out, we expect that our licensees will then figure out how to make their own products. It may look and feel different and so on. That's product positioning. But we've matured the technology to a point and systems working that they can now move forward and make the products that consumers want in all kinds of size and shapes, costs, and functionality. Great. And how far off do you, do you think till we can, you know, you, you'll be seeing this type of technology uh, in, in, I guess, a sort of uh, bigger form factor, um, more power-hungry type tablets like we're starting to see from you know, Microsoft with Microsoft Surface and, and, and products like that? So we believe we have an edge there because uh, we've delivered power systems and solutions in industrial that operate much higher than a tablet or an ultrabook or a notebook can operate. We've delivered systems at one kilowatt. So it's now up to uh, product companies to decide how fast they want to move. We know that the biggest volume today is smartphones. It dwarfs just anything else. The next one is tablets. Eventually there will be you know, uh, notebooks. But we think that wearables also can be a fast-track market. And so what we're demonstrating today is the third innovation. The third innovation is we're demonstrating a charging system for wearables. And that's what we call the personal 3D system. And in this case, there's a Galaxy Gear, Samsung Galaxy Gear, which is a smartwatch. And what is important there is that for the compelling value proposition for those kind of devices, they're the most difficult to do because they're not necessarily on a flat surface. One of those things is what we call irregularly shaped. The consumer can place in any orientation, in any location, and expect it to charge, which is the most difficult situation for wireless charging. We're demonstrating today that we can do that. That's great. Oh, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, Paul. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of our uh, Computex 2014 uh, coverage from Taipei. Uh, but next up is, is, a, is a chat that, uh, that I recorded with one of the team from uh, Microsoft and Redmond, uh, who's involved with the Microsoft Surface product. So right now with uh, Cyril Belikoff of Microsoft in Redmond. Uh, Cyril, what's your role? Where do you fit in uh, at Microsoft? We're going to talk about the uh, the new Surface Pro 3 today. So obviously you're involved in that team. Yeah, I'm in the Surface team based in uh, Redmond, as you, as you say, in uh, Microsoft headquarters. And I'm on the Surface uh, marketing team. Great. So uh, we've just been having a look at the new Surface Pro 3. Now, it's still uh, a, a way off until it's available here in New Zealand. Uh, I think uh, late August, is that right? That's right. Um, we'll be available uh, 20th of June in the US and Canada and in the August timeframe, Australia and New Zealand. Okay. Uh, now, now, run us through. There's, there's been a few changes here from uh, the first two generations of, of Surface. So this is the Pro range. So uh, it's got uh, full Intel Core processors, i3 uh, through to i7. Uh, 
but you you were really sort of pitching this as the, as the one that um, you know actually can replace a, a laptop, and I guess that was yeah that's certainly been the, the focus of the Surface Pro uh, in the past. But but tell us why you think um, the the Pro Three is really going to going to nail it. Yeah, that's uh, it's a great question. You know, the the Pro line has always been a, a great laptop, and we really wanted this to be a, a tablet that can replace your laptop. And uh, and so it it has a great new screen. It's a twelve inch screen versus a ten point six inch screen from the Pro Two. That's the that's the first notable noticeable thing that you'll see. Uh, we've increased uh, or improved the the kickstand with a multi position kickstand, so it allows you to give you uh, effectively an unlimited angles down to one hundred and fifty degrees, and so you can customize it whether you're on a desk or on your lap or you know, in first class or economy class on a flight. It really provides uh, a lot of flexibility in, in, in that. And then comes with a great new keyboard with an improved uh, trackpad or mouse pad with physical clicks and very glossy uh, type of feeling. Um, and then uh, great new typing experience uh, on, on the new th- uh, thin keyboard. Yeah, I quite liked uh, the keyboard. It seems to be a little bit more spacious. Uh, obviously, with a with a bigger device, it's. A, I've found myself still made the odd mistake um, after you know thirty seconds of usage, but uh, yeah, certainly certainly a step up. So that's good. And now there's also this magnet that runs across the top of the keyboard. So when you attach that uh, to the Surface Pro Three, um, that's designed to give it more stability when it's on on your lap. That the primary purpose of it. Yeah, that's right. You know, the the magnet fold will you know gently um, attach to the screen, um, and when it's on your lap, it provides essentially the same stability as a full base laptop, and so you can bang away to your heart's content while it's on your lap and have a really stable experience uh, uh, versus you know this thin and light keyboard that might you know bend and and, and weave uh, historically. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's probably quite as stable as having a, a full-blown laptop on your um, on your knees, and you also need a little bit of room for that uh, kickstand because it has to fold back rather than um, just being covered by the weight of the weight of the keyboard. But I think it's it's definitely a step up. Um, now, just run us through the the stylus. You're, you're calling it a pen, but you've got a, you've got a bigger um, stylus this time. That's a little bit different from the previous. Uh, yeah, how do you, how do you think this is going to um, going to go with with users yeah the pen is an uh, important step for a lot of users uh, if you think about students for example uh, you know they learn through uh, retention and through writing whether it's uh, the creative side of art and architecture and, and wood and wood class but also uh, you know whether it's science maths uh, you, everything is done through pen these days uh, and uh, you know whether you're uh, drawing uh, in a biology uh, you're, you're drawing the, the pieces of the human body right uh, you know, the, the lungs the heart, the cells, that can't be done with a keyboard. And so educators are very excited about uh, a pen and how that, what that could mean for them. So we've, uh, we've made pen um, and inking a first-class experience in the Surface Pro 3, uh, integrated into OneNote, and with a single click you can launch your OneNote and start writing and drawing immediately. Um, we've improved the latency and the, uh, and the speed um, and how it feels so that we're essentially uh, trying to uh, trick the human brain so it looks and feels like uh, writing on a piece of paper and that the ink is actually coming from the, the digital pen. Um, and as soon as we achieve that, you get immediate adoption and usage of the pen. Okay, that's that sounds good. Um, looking forward to trying that out a little bit more. Uh, now we've also got here the the new dock for the Surface Pro uh, Three. That's coming in at a similar price point or the same price point as the, the dock on the Surface Pro Two. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, the, the device itself, spec for spec on Pro 2, will be on a similar price point and the same for the, the docking station. Okay. And any sort of step-ups in terms of the docking and the, the power connection? It's, it seems the new uh, power connector is a little bit easier than the, um, than the, than the last one when you're just uh, plugging your charger uh, straight into the, the Pro 3. Yeah, um, the docking station got gigabit uh, connection, which is improvement. Got Kensington uh, key as well, which uh, helps for uh, our business customers when when attach it to the desk. And then yes, the power connector for the Surface Pro Three. We got some great feedback about improving that, and now it's a very simple, easy magnetic click in uh, to get going. Okay. Um, now I think you know we've got a, a mix across our audience from those that are uh, you know, general tech enthusiasts uh, through to CIOs and CEOs, uh, some that are that are um, uh, technology resellers. Where where are you at in that process of making the uh, the the surface range available through sort of broad distribution channels like what we see today for you know HP. Lenovo and, and, and those types of uh, brands. Yeah, as we as I said earlier, the, in the August time frame, we will have both uh, retailers and our commercial resellers that we have today uh, can sell this to our commercial and consumer customers. Uh, and uh, you know, once we have got up and running with those resellers, we'll continue to think hard about what it means for for others in the market, so we can you know have better coverage. Do you do you expect a bit of uh, you know kickback from uh, you know some of your loyal partners that that aren't able to supply this this product today? You must get some frustration, um, you know, in in those regards that it's hard for them to get hold of the the, the product. There isn't really a channel available to them at the moment, uh, especially looking at a country like New Zealand, where you know a lot of those that uh, you know supply technology are going to be outside of I think the four partners that you've got at the moment. Yeah, you know, we uh, we wanted to be really thoughtful as we rolled out, and, and, and uh, you know, those partners are, are giving us feedback every day, and we're thinking hard about, you know, how, how we take those next steps, and it's important to, to do that. And we just wanted to be thoughtful as we rolled out and make sure that we get uh, the right you know, partners scaled up and then, um, and then expand from there. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time, Cyril. Thank you. Right, so uh, it's a, it's a few days uh, after that interview now, and and I've been using the Surface Pro Pro Three during that time, uh, using it from a number of aspects, using it sort of in that laptop replacement uh, type uh, way of operating. Been using it as a as a tablet as well, and, and enjoying the larger uh, screen size over other tablets that I typically use. Uh, and also using the uh, the the pen or the the stylus uh, for writing on the uh, on the screen and really using it like a like a digital pad. Um, now, in terms of impressions across those things, I, I find it does it does work pretty well as a laptop. Uh, I guess a couple of uh, you know a couple of things to be aware of. You've just got one uh, USB port built in, so. If it's not docked, you do have some limitations, but uh, if you're using it at your desk, you would usually uh, probably purchase the uh, the docking station, uh, w- which give, gives you uh, five, five USB ports there, um, as well as your uh, connection to gigabit Ethernet and your monitor and so on. Uh, so... Yeah, I think that that's probably workable in most uh, most situations. Uh, in terms of using it on your your lap, uh, my experience with that was pretty good. Um, there are certainly still some things that you can do 
uh, with a laptop in terms of uh, you know rest, resting it while you're maybe you know uh, working or, or playing on your laptop in, in unusual uh, sort of situations if you're uh, sitting on on um, um, a couch or you're lying in bed looking at content and so on. Um, that's that's probably a little bit uh, different. So you know, those are things you need to work in. Um, are there unusual sort of situations in which you would want to to uh, uh, use your laptop that may not fit so well for a, uh, a converged sort of two-in-one device like the uh, the Surface Pro Three? Um, but really, in most of the situations I've used it, it's uh, it's it's actually been very very good, and uh, it's it's quite snappy. That uh, sort of twelve-inch screen size works works quite well for me. I'm used to having a uh, a, a laptop with uh, with a with a smaller type of screen. The uh, handwriting straight into uh, into OneNote I found is very good for uh, for taking notes in in meetings, um, and surprisingly, with such a large screen size, it actually is quite workable as a tablet, and and that's really because it's such a thin and uh, and reasonably light device. We're talking 800, 800 grams, so yep, it's it's a it's a chunk heavier than the um, um, than than some of the smaller. Uh, tablets, but uh, because of that thinness, it's actually um, it's actually pretty comfortable to to use. So uh, we're talking um, uh, what is it? Uh, just over nine nine, nine millimeters thick. Uh, so yeah, pr- pretty workable. And uh, I'm hoping to uh, to get a bit more time on the on the Surface Pro Three over the next few weeks. And of course, it's not out in New Zealand until uh, uh, I think the end of August at, the, at this stage. So uh, I'll be certainly be sharing uh, more of of those experiences in the in the next little while. Uh, but I think um, yeah, a, a pretty exciting device actually. And yeah, when I when I look at the uh, the original Surface Pro and the Surface Pro uh, Two with the ten point six inch screen, smaller keyboard, uh, for me they weren't really quite enough to make them a, a real sort of go to product to replace a laptop. Um, but I'm I'm sort of starting to think that the uh, the Surface Pro Three may well sort of tick the boxes for most uh, laptop use while being you know, considerably lighter than, and, and thinner than most, uh, most uh, if not all, laptops that, uh, that, that are available currently. So, yeah, I think this is a pretty, uh, pretty exciting uh, product for, uh, for Windows, Windows users out there. All right, well, um, that's, uh, that's it on the, uh, the Surface Pro 3. And now, before we uh, before we finish up, it'll be uh, remiss of me not to mention uh, that Apple have uh, have recently finished up their worldwide uh, developers conference, and uh, you know they 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 they, they shared as they as they usually do each each year at this time um, some new new things. Uh, you know, primarily focusing on the future of of iOS, their software for uh, for the iPhone and and uh, and and iPad, and also on uh, OS X, the operating system for uh, for the Macintosh. So yeah, iOS eight. Uh, it's really the next generation of uh, of Apple's mobile operating system. Uh, now, two things it incorporates is HomeKit and HealthKit. Uh, HomeKit being a software that that's going to uh, allow the control of of smart home uh, technology 
particularly as as our homes become a place for uh, um, yeah more more tech that fits into that Internet of Things category, uh, such as digitally controlled lighting, uh, heating, security systems, and and so on. Uh, and then health kit, well, um, that you know it's useful now, but I think it. Its its real focus is, is for the future as we start seeing um, health-related wearable uh, devices such as the long-rumoured iWatch. And Apple also have a new version of um, OS X, the new operating system for the, for the Mac, uh, will be OS X 10.10 uh, Yosemite. Uh, and that that includes a number of uh, things, including a, a, a new uh, sort of flatter design, uh, and Apple's uh, iCloud drive is included, and that goes some way to sort of bringing um, Apple uh, back into competition with the likes of Dropbox, OneDrive, and uh, and and Google Drive for uh, for, for cloud uh, file storage. Um, now, also coming up is uh, a tighter integration between um, Apple's mobile and desktop uh, operating system platforms, iOS and, and, and OS X, and uh, they're really working to sort of seamlessly, um, you know, en- enable the well, en- enable those different operating systems to work together quite seamlessly, uh, so users can work on the device that uh, suits them, and that might be moving from um, a phone to their Mac or from their Mac to uh, a tablet. And, uh, yeah, it look, looks like some uh, some good stuff coming there. Um, one of the things that will allow is uh, phone calls to move uh, or, or to be answered on the device you're on. So you get a phone call on your iPhone, uh, but maybe you don't feel like uh, picking up the, the iPhone because you're tapping away on your, your keyboard, or maybe you've left it in the other, uh, in the other room. Uh, that sort of case, you're actually going to be able to answer a call uh, directly on your, on your Mac and use the built-in uh, microphone and speakers on your on your Mac to uh, to to take a call. So it's it's the first we've seen of this type of thing, and uh, yeah, I think there's some there's some really good innovation coming here from um, from Apple. So uh, yeah, I think some some good things ahead, and it's good to see them sort of stirring up uh, the tech tech industry with uh, w- with some unique ideas so we're, we're certainly looking forward to getting uh, getting hands-on uh, with that around the office here and uh, I'll be I'll be reporting back on uh, on some of those experiences in the future so that's really it for uh, for this episode of the New Zealand Tech podcast uh, thanks everyone for for listening in uh, we have some um, some some other new content uh, coming through in terms of podcasts so be sure to check out the uh, the website for uh, for Global Voice Media, which publishes the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, and and a range of New Zealand's other uh, top podcasts. So uh, yeah, if you've got uh, got some time on your hands to squeeze in another podcast or two, uh, well well worth uh, checking in to, uh, t- to see what else we've got, and we'll uh, we'll we'll fill you in uh, more on on our next episode of the NZ Tech Podcast, which uh, will be coming uh, coming to you this time again uh, next week. Hey, thanks everyone. See you then. Bye.